renew my will from day to day. Blend it with thine and take away all that makes it hard to say thine will be done. Church, can we turn that song into a prayer this morning? Can we ask God to renew our will from day to day? Blend it with his divine will. And then subtract all the things that make it hard for us to say, thy will be done. Can we pray? Can we pray that prayer? Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord that his going forth is like the morning when our will is blended as one with divine agenda. Can you submit your will once again before him? Can you submit everything you've been struggling with that makes it hard to see thy will be done. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord is going forth. It's like the morning. Oh, Your coming, your going forth is like the morning. 
Lord, we are tired of dryness. We ask that you come unto us as the latter rain. As we briefly contemplate your words this morning, Holy Spirit, unveil the mind of the Father to us again. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Good morning, church. God bless you. You're welcome to church. If you take a closer look at your program, the church program, you will observe that what we are dealing with today is agents of revival, a contrite and a holy life. Amen. Agents of revival, a contrite and a holy life. And maybe we can just read again that our text in Isaiah 57 from verse 15. Please let's quickly turn our attention to that passage, Isaiah 57 verse 15. And it says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. Which is why our topic today is Agents of Revival, a Contrite and a Holy Life. By the grace of God, we are trusting God to demonstrate that contrition of the heart is a potent agent for revival. Amen. Most times when revival comes, it is preceded by contrition. By the manifestation of a contrite heart. It's a major agent that precedes revival. And you know, brethren, when revival has come, a contrite heart is one of the ways to sustain the revival. Praise the Lord. Many times when you see the Lord talking about revival, He will say, weep for your sins. He will say, cry. Let your heart be broken. Acquire a contrite heart. For no matter how much repentance you exhibit or you dramatize, once your heart is not contrite, that repentance is not yet complete. Amen. Whenever the Lord comes and tells us a lot of new 21st century New generation believers don't really see the need for repentance. You know, when the Lord calls his people, who are already his children, born again, sons and daughters of God, when he calls them unto repentance, many people do not see the need. But that is one of the safest places you can be. When your heart is in a position where God can still bring you back and correct you. May the Lord help us this morning in the name of Jesus. 
What does it mean to have a contrite heart? We remember David, who was a man that had a contrite heart. Amen. David, David, David. <laughs> Amen. Uh, that brother, <laughs> oh Lord, that brother had a contrite heart. Amen. And that's my prayer for myself. That the Lord will give me a tender heart that is still sensitive to his word. Not a recalcitrant heart. A contrite heart is a heart that is heartbroken before God. Whenever that heart wrongs God, that heart is hurting because primarily I have hurt God. Not because of any other thing. Because you know human beings are very, very subtle. And God knows this. Sometimes, you know, my children demonstrate contrition to me. Especially the two big ones. When they do something, they know hurts me. They know judgment is coming. Amen. <laughs> Who knows about judgment? In children's church, they call it chicken and goat meat. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> the big cane is chicken. Then the slender one is goat meat. So whenever they hurt me, I manifest chicken and goat meat. And after we manifest it, they scream, they cry. But I will observe that two hours later, if you're passing by their room, especially the two big ones, they're still sobbing. They're still sobbing. Maybe lying down on the bed, called up, but still shedding tears. And maybe the mommy will ask, Shalom, why are you still crying? I made daddy angry. I'm telling you. And she said, no. He has already flogged you, so go back now and tell him that you are sorry. And you know, she's dramatic sometimes. She comes back to my room and she kneels down. Daddy, I'm sorry for hurting you. This one is no longer apology for the cane. Are we together? Or tears for the king? This is what? Tears of a broken relationship. You know, many times as Christians, when we define holiness, we define holiness negatively. In other words, I don't lie. I don't slander people. I don't gossip. Therefore, I am holy. We define holiness by things we don't do. Is it true? That's a legalistic inheritance from the days of the laws. We define holiness by intimacy with the Father. So the second one they apologize for is apologizing for separation from the Father. Not that I'll call their school and take away the school fees I've already paid. Not that I'll say I won't take them to school the next one. But there's an intimacy that is broken. And they can't let a day pass without mending it. Hallelujah. How did we come to a point that believers can rise up from the bed of immorality? Within one hour they are in church dancing, singing praises. How did we get to that point? Contrition, we lost it. We lost a contrite heart. How did we get to the point where, oh, we will be hurting the father 
cleanly and will appear clean in church, spotless, as if all is well between us and the Father. My brethren, the Lord is calling us back to repentance. You may be surprised that after last week, that the Lord revived us, He's bringing a word such as this. It is to sustain the fire that began last, last weekend. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Psalm 51. I trust the Lord to do a quick walk in our lives this morning. Psalm 51 was the psalm that David wrote after the sin of Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. Some people have traced that whole, you know, flow of activity. How he went from um, doing the right thing at the wrong time. Amen. You know, the Bible said at the time when kings go to war, David stayed back. And then, to idleness, he went to the top of his roof and was just looking around. Hello, you are on the top of your roof. What do you expect to find? Even people even say that people who tap, tap and wine, they will not say everything they've seen from the top of the tree. Amen. That is just a palm tree. Think of God. Imagine if God decides to say everything he's seen in our lives. There will be trouble. <laughs> will there not be trouble? People will be like, hey! He can't teacher, hey! He will say another, hey! He can't teacher, he will not say. So that's why sometimes God says, just weep. Just get the priest to weep between the porch and the altar. Let's know whether the Lord can repent of the judgment that we brought upon ourselves. So you see, David committed adultery, forcefully took the man, the, the man's wife, and arranged for the man to be killed. That is the background to Psalm 51. He is coming from a place of sin. And you know, when he did it, oh, you know how sin can be in chain? How it's just like a chain reaction. And, and all look, I'll be thinking, why didn't you break it at this point? Now that you are pregnant, why did you go on to commit abortion? Why didn't you just stop? The thing comes like a chain. Bad friends lead to corruption. Corruption leads to stealing. Stealing leads to... It just keeps going and going. And you know, that was what happened to David until he murdered his own fellow soldier. He said, take him to the hottest part of the war and do what? And withdraw the backup. Isn't that similar to what Judas did to Jesus Christ? Betrayer. That's how you ride the Hittites died. And life went on. Life went. A lot of lives that are going on with you, sir. Ma, God is not happy. There are some things that maybe you have swept under the carpet. But God wants to open the carpet. He can't let that house be like that. So he sent prophet Nathan to David. Nathan comes. You know how prophets talk. Amen. Prophet came with a parable. Behold, in a great city, there were two men. 
very rich man and a poor man. He kept talking, he kept talking. And goes to the point where the rich man collected the only lamb that this poor man had to entertain his guests. David said, no way. In this kingdom, Nathan said, yes, sir, in this kingdom. He said, bring that man. I said, bring him. The throne of the Lord is established in justice and righteousness. Nathan was smiling. I know, your majesty. The Lord desired the justice given to the poor. Nathan said, yes. Oh, live forever, O king. When he finished, he said, sir, you, O king, you are that man. Do you know what David says? He says, I have sinned against the Lord. Immediately. No protocol. What did he say? Jehovah. I have sinned against the Lord. Brethren, that is a contrite heart. That is a contrite heart. Oh, he calls pain what God calls pain. The opposite of a contrite heart is a proud heart. The opposite of a contrite heart is what? An arrogant heart. The opposite of a contrite heart is what? A profane heart. You will see it in scripture. Profanity is the one that despises what God adores. God wants a holy temple, but a profane heart can move on. After all, nobody knows. The Lord will bring us to the point of genuine repentance in the name of Jesus. So, in that Psalm 51, by the time you get to verse 17, what does he say? Can we read together? I want to go. Amen. You may not understand verse 17 well if you don't read verse 16. Because it's verse 16 that diagnoses us as believers. Or verse 16 Let's look at verse 16. It says, For when I sin, I cannot make it up by sacrifices. I'm the person saying this one. So you will not delight in sacrifice. If not, I would have given it. You will not be bribed using a burnt offering. If not, I will burn all the cattle in Israel. Therefore, that's where 17 now comes in. I don't know whether the devil has tried to make that suggestion to you sometimes. When you make a mistake, he tries to, you know, as if you will use service and maybe giving and maybe doing, you know, spiritual activity to make God forget Praise the Lord. <laughs> the Lord will bring us to a point of genuine repentance this morning in the name of Jesus. Repentance is different from remorse. It's different from regret. Amen. Remorse is like you are feeling bad. Maybe because you have been found out. I don't know whether you watch TV sometimes when police will catch armed robbers. What would they say? Sometimes they say it's the devil's work. Uh, because they've been caught. Amen? They are very remorseful. They regret what they've done. 
Does it mean that they've changed? Ah, ah. Even the Nigerian, is it correctional service? There's a new name for it now. Right? Uh-huh. Nigerian correctional service. Sometimes, even after you spent 10 years, 15 years there, they come out if care is not taken, even more hardened and more subtle. It takes God having done a deep work in a heart for a heart to change. And that is what we are trusting God for this morning. The Lord will help us in the name of Jesus. Remorse is that you are feeling bad because you have been found out. Similar to regret. Oh, I regret what I've done. Oh, if I were given another chance, I will not do it again. <laughs> but contrite heart is that I have offended God. Oh Lord, it is you I have sinned against. Brethren, you know partial obedience is very common amongst Christians. I don't know what God has been telling you and you've not been doing it. You need to repent today. If there's any assignment God placed in your heart and you ended up not doing it, you think God is happy? You think he will gloss over it? It's something that you need to repent of. There may be something small in your life that God has been pointing at. To the normal people, it may not look like offense or sin. But God is pointing it out to you. You need to repent of it. Personal obedience is what? Is what? So for example, Nigeria has 10 laws, for example. And you like 8. 8 are very good. But the 2 that says maybe don't kill. Don't kill your fellow citizen. You don't like it. You say, Lord, I don't like this too. And you are caught breaking that one. Will the country forgive you because you kept the other eight? Oh, I pay my taxes. I pay. No. You are going to jail for the one you, you broke. And many times Christians don't realize that this half obedience we give God in matters that have to do with his kingdom. God gave you an assignment. Just do it. And if you've not done it and years have passed, please repent. The Lord will help us in the name of Jesus. Many times, people worry about the reputational damage that they've suffered because they've been found out and they get remorseful. Oh, these office people will now know that I steal money. Oh, the people on my street will now know the kind of man I am. Oh, they will now know that I'm a drunkard. Oh, they will now know that I'm not a man of integrity. People are worried more about what? The reputation they've lost. Sometimes they worry about the business they've lost. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. It's a selfish desire to be seen correctly. Can we together go to and see some examples of these things? Acts chapter 8. Let's see what God is saying in Acts chapter 8. Acts of the Apostles chapter 8. That passage started with persecution breaking out. 
and people going to different places, you know, the disciples and apostles, they were then going to minister in various cities of the world. And Philip came to preach in Samaria. Acts chapter 8. Can we pick it up from verse 9? Acts chapter 8, verse 9. The Bible says, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. And he had amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, verse 10, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now listen to verse 13. Listen carefully to verse 13. It says, Even Simon the sorcerer himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Look at the next place. And seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was himself was amazed. So Simon in our modern parlance, became born again. Became a member of the church. Amen. But something happened. People came from Jerusalem to minister the Holy Ghost unto the new believers. And something happened. Now, let's jump down to verse 18. It says, Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit of God was given through the laying on, of the apostles' hands. What did he do? What did he do, church? He offered them what? Money. Ego. Owo. Saying, verse 19, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> ah, Jesus. Brethren, you need to know that God is infinitely loving. God's gifts, sir, cannot be purchased with money. Don't let anybody deceive you. No matter how they paint it, don't even enter under this course. You will see what Apostle Peter told him. God's gift cannot be purchased with money. Settle it in your heart. God does not play drafts. I don't know if you've played drafts before. Have you played drafts? If you're really experienced. You give somebody food. He thinks you're kind. He will eat the food. Keep. You give him a game. He will eat. Keep. And you will then come. Tot, 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 tot. And you pack his own. God is not like that. You give him and collect it. Eh, eh. The gifts of God are eternal blessings. They are bestowed upon you by grace. You cannot pay for it. That is why Apostle Peter was mad in the spirit. Listen to verse 20. He said, But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Why? Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with, with what? You have neither part nor lot in this matter. Why? 
for your heart is not right before God. Excuse me, sir. Was Simon born again? Has he been baptized? Also, not church, sir. But where is his heart? That would say it's not right with God. Listen to verse 22. What does Peter say? Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. This is somebody that already has been baptized. I don't know what you heard when you became born again. Because you know sometimes some preachers can talk about prosperity. After they preach it, they tell you that if you come to Jesus, you get prosperity. That is true. And you come to give your life to Christ, predicated upon access to prosperity. Many times preachers will talk about healing and make altar call. And you come and give your life to Christ, not because you know you have hurt the one that loves you so much that he came to die for you, but because you needed healing. You come, you give your life. Simon was already amazing the people. And he saw some people that used another power to amaze the people. He gave his life to Christ just to multiply his own amazement. He gave his life to Christ selfishly. He gave his life to Christ just out of the desire to increase his own relevance in Samaria. This is what is raining now. Therefore, let me just join them. And brethren, that was the issue with his heart. So I want to ask you today, did you hear the gospel of salvation? What did you hear when you believed? Why are you following Jesus? Why did you cry when you gave your life to Christ? Is it because the weight of your sin came upon your heart and your heart was crushed? Or was it something else? Many times believers will try to clean up their secret faults. You know, we read it this morning through negligence, through weakness, and that third one, what does it say? Through our own, through our own words. We must acknowledge it. We must acknowledge that we have deliberately hurt the Lord. If we don't acknowledge it, many of our offerings will not be accepted. Because the devil will come and start suggesting to you, your sin was not really that bad. Compared to others, everybody is doing what this thing know. It's you that is taking it seriously. In fact, God has already moved on. I don't know whether you've heard that suggestion from the devil. I've heard it several times. What did you do that somebody has not done before? Ordinary slander. The person you are talking about does not even know what you said. Ordinary envy. Ordinary jealousy. Do you think you are the only married man committing immorality? What you are doing is not terrible compared to what others are doing. You know? Just move on. Continue serving God. As 
as if you are about to clean it off. <laughs> God has not gotten used to that life. Amen? God has not gotten used to that life. God wants you to go back and repent by genuine contrition. I don't know if the media team can help us to pro- project a scripture in Isaiah. Isaiah 66. Just turn your Bible to the book of Isaiah chapter 66. As we see some of the consequences. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 66. Let's start from verse 1. Preferably New Living Translation. If you have that. That is one of the places that begins to show us the same thing our text showed us. That even though God dwells in the highest heaven, His desire is to dwell in our hearts. Now look at what the scripture says. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my what? Please, where is God's throne? Where is His footstool? Let's go. Could you build me a temple as good as that? <laughs> Could you build me such a resting place? Verse 2. Men, my hands have made both heaven and the earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. Listen to what he says. I will bless those who have what? Humble and contrite heart. Who do what? Who tremble at my word. Who do not trivialize my commandments. Verse 3. We just read verse 3. He says, but those, listen to this, who choose their own ways, delighting in their detestable sins, will not have what? Will not have what? If you have chosen deliberately to delight in what God detests, will not, you will not have your offerings accepted. What are your offerings? What are the offerings we give? Anything. The one we give here. The worship. The praises, your service to God. You know, there's, oh. Sometimes children also do it. They hurt you and are trying to make up by doing extra things. Especially when they get to teenage age. They will think they are smart. After they hurt you, they've not come to bend down and say, I'm sorry. They will say, Mommy, let me carry your Bible. Let me open the door. Let me close the door. Let me clean your bag. Let me clean. And what would the mommy be doing? Lele. <laughs> My wife can do that one. <laughs> Once there's something you've done, what is the solution? You go back and mend it. You cannot have your offerings done what? Accepted. Now listen to the details. Can we go together? When such people sacrifice a bull, it is no more acceptable than what? A human sacrifice. This is the Lord speaking. When they sacrifice a lamb, it is as though they have sacrificed a dog. When they bring an offering of grain, 
they might as well offer the blood of a pig on my altar. When they burn frankincense, it's as if they have what? They have blessed an idol. Any service you give God, while you are constantly, consciously living in disobedience, is abominable to him. He would rather that you shut your mouth than you sing to him. Once you are in disobedience, what is the first prescription? Go down on your face and correct it. If not, sir, you are profaning the altar of God. That's the way the Lord sees it. That's the way the Lord sees it. We must have a childlike tender heart to follow him. Can we go to verse 4? Verse 4 begins to now show us some of the things you will also see. He says, I will send them what? Great trouble of all the things they feared. For when I called, they did not answer. When I spoke, they did not listen. What did the Bible say? They deliberately sinned before my eyes and chose to do what they know I despise. Next verse, verse 5. So this is that third part of our prayer. Deliberate for. He said what? Hear this message from the Lord. All you who do what? Who tremble at my words. Your own people hate you and throw you out for being loyal to my name. What does he say? Let the Lord be honored. They scoff, but be joyful in him. But they will be put to shame. The Lord will help us in the name of Jesus. This is the same thing that happened to Esau and Jacob. Esau despised his birthright. And later in Hebrews chapter 12, if you read from 16 down, the Bible says he began to, he sought that birthright again with bitter tears. <laughs> he was seeking to repent. But what did the Bible say? He was not allowed to repent. And if you don't know the background, you will think he's out of character for God. That somebody is trying to repent, but he's not being allowed to repent. But what Esau was crying after was the inheritance. He was only concerned about what he stood to gain. And what he lost because of the lost birthright. And God said that is profanity. You are not concerned about what I'm concerned about. Brothers and sisters, I want you to examine your life. I want you to examine your life. In what ways are you like Saul? Bible said, destroy all the Amalekites. Kill everything, animal, man. Saul did half. Came back with animal, pretending to love the Lord. The prophet said, no way. God will not have you by means of disobedience. He said, kill all, kill all. You know what Saul said? Onyamuma, please, just stand beside me. Don't act as if uh, God is angry with me, please. Let's just stand together. Let the people not know that the Spirit of the Lord has departed. Let's just keep going. Hallelujah. I don't know if any of us, you find such tendencies in your life. The tendency to gloss over 
things that the Lord is raising a red flag for. Lord is shouting, shouting. And you find yourself glossing over it. There are dangers to it. What did I say? There are dangers to it. That is how brethren kill their conscience. That is how brethren kill their conscience. Your spirit man will no longer be a safe guide for your life. Because over time, you know the people who even commit heinous crimes, the first time they did it, they cried. Even some soldiers, the first time they go to war and actually shoot somebody, some of them come back crying. They have terrible feelings. They call a psychologist to, you know, to help them to heal that they took a life. But ten years later, what will happen? He has been killing and killing and killing and killing. Over time, that sensitivity is what? Is dead. That's how even born again Christians can have a dead conscience. May that not be a portion in the name of Jesus. You see, willful sinning and false repenting. You know, because the blood of Jesus is there to wash you. But the danger you don't know is that you're damaging your sensitivity equipment before God. When trouble is on the way, there's an alarm that goes off in your spirit, man. When danger is ahead, God waves a flag. And if you've damaged your sensitivity equipment, you can't tell even when danger is coming. You can't tell right or wrong. Repeated, deliberate cycles of willful sinning. That's the one that can take believers to hell. God is calling us today to have a contrite heart. And genuinely repent before him. Ah, Jesus, help us in the name of Jesus. What is your pursuit? Let your pursuit be intimacy with God. Let your highest desire be intimacy with God. There's a song we used to sing that used to minister. Do you know that song? Lord, you are more precious. Can we sing it together? Than silver. Oh, Lord, you are, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful, beautiful than there is nothing, there is nothing I desire compared to you. Oh, my Lord.
when there was in Christianity, when this was the heart cry of Christians. Once upon a time, this was all we cared about. Brother, how did we get here? We are at a point where we are comparing ourselves with ourselves. Manifesting foolishness. Where the matter of the kingdom is left unattended. God is my highest desire. God is our utmost pursuit. Ah, Jesus. One of the benefits of having a contrite and a holy heart is that God elevates you. Amen. In Luke 18, two people went to pray. A publican and a Pharisee. The Pharisee had an arrogant heart, a proud heart, while the publican had a contrite heart. He said, Lord, I can't even come up to the altar to pray. My sins are too heavy, just like David. And what did Jesus say? Jesus says that man went home justified. You find the details in Luke chapter 18, between verse 13 and 14. Contrition brings spiritual upliftment. Once you are in a position where you can easily repent genuinely before God, you are more likely to be uplifted spiritually. If you are in a position where there are so many ah, unaccounted for, so many things that you have not accounted for with God. I don't know, they used to teach us to keep short accounts with God. I don't know whether you heard those things growing up. Keep short accounts with God. Once you break it somewhere, you open up your heart. Say, God, this is what I've done. And you return to Him. Oh. Last week, the bishop ministered so powerfully and so many things. God did in our lives. <laughs> I don't know if you've, you've experienced the joy of soul winning. When last, brethren, did you experience it? The joy of a soul coming to Jesus. <laughs> Amen. I remember we lived in a very bad area as clinical students. There are so many cultists around that area. You know, but some of them also were my, my, you know, we knew them. And they knew that these guys are of a different kingdom. So we lived in the middle of them. So one time God began to convict me. There's a young man that lives in this flat. Why not preach to him? Why not preach to him? God kept it in my heart. Preach to this guy. Preach to him. Preach to him. Preach to him. I say, God, I preach to him. We're already friends. He's already familiar with me. He already calls me senior. All those things. God kept saying, preach to me. And one day the Holy Ghost will not let me rest. I called the guy. I say, bro, you are going to escort me somewhere. Amen. <laughs> you escort me. Let's go somewhere. He said, okay, where are we going to? I said, let's go to Mr. Biggs. Then in Abakliki, Mr. Biggs was like the reigning Itri then. As I made that call for him to follow me to Mr. Biggs, I quickly called another hunter. Amen. Hunter. Another brother that is a sharpshooter. I don't know if you've seen such brothers. Bro, just shake your hand. But 
you go to hell if you die now. <laughs> I said, ah, which kind of thing is this? I said, what manner of salutation is this? And immediately the person was, said, are you serious? And the thing has started there. So I called one other hunter. I said, see what is happening, no? The Lord is, we are going to Mr. Big. There's hunting. He said, eh? I said, yes. He arranged. He quickly started preparing. So when Mr. Big's eating, and he just casually walked in, you know, but we have planned it. So he said, ah, Bukas. He greeted the other guy, sat down. Immediately he sat down. Hunting started. We began. Oh, may the Lord give me a sharp threshing instrument in the name of Jesus. May the Lord give me a sharp threshing instrument in the name of Jesus. One cut like this. Do you know, that was the first time I experienced it. This boy, I eventually led him to Christ. Because you know, when you don't have faith, let's say when your own is low, and a brother comes and brings it, your own now rises again. So somewhere in the middle of the hunting, my gun was loaded. I said yes. So eventually, you know this boy knelt down with Mr. Biggs. He was weeping. People were going to buy chicken. In Ab- He was saying the sinner's prayer. Fast forward to last year, which is almost either 10 or 12 years later. He got married as a believer. The wife, a believer. And the, the other hunter is now in another country. So I sent him pictures of the wedding. He called me or just cried. He said, oh Lord. Joy of a soul winner. When last did you experience it? Those are the elements of revival. What is the foundation of holiness? It is a contrite heart. You cannot obey God from a place where there are unattended issues with him. That's why the Lord is calling us back this morning. A contrite heart is the secret to divine habitation. You know the fact that God lives on your life, God resides in you. It starts with a contrite heart. That's our passage. It says, I live in the holy mountains. You can't build me a church as beautiful as heaven. But I have a second address. Where is it? In the heart of people who are contrite. I like to, I just like to relax there. When the sages have been singing in heaven, singing, singing, sometimes I just like to come down to a human heart that is contrite and just make my abode with him. Hallelujah. The secret to divine presence is contrition. If you see any man that is easily contrite, that repents after hurting God easily, I'll show you a man of his presence. That man does not want anything to interrupt his intimacy with God. Ah, do you know that holiness is one of the best kept secrets in Christianity? It's such a joy to know that I am a friend of God. Is We sang it this morning in that third verse of 382. Ponder anew, right? What the Almighty can do if ever He becomes your friend. If you start from the beginning of that verse 3, oh Lord, friendship with God, that's the greatest access you have, sir. 
in this Nigeria of today, where the people in power have planned to, for their great, great, great grandchildren, where are you? <laughs> I have connection with God. I'm a friend of God. That is the greatest resource you can have in this end time, my brethren. A contrite heart is like a magnet that God cannot resist. It pulls him down from his throne. You want to enjoy the presence of God on your life. Contrition is the key. If you harbor pride, harbor arrogance, God stays far away. The Bible says he can tell a proud man from a distance. From a far place. When you want to see, see them. Holy Spirit, I beg you, make you follow this side. See those people. Praise the Lord. The Lord will help us in the name of Jesus. One of the secrets to enjoying divine guidance is by having a contrite heart. If you want to manifest divine wisdom, that's another benefit of having a contrite heart. Do you know what Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said concerning Joseph? Genesis chapter 41 verse 38. Pharaoh said, Where can we find such a man in whom the spirit of God is? I've not seen a more controversial verse of scripture. That's the first book of the Bible. And a hidden king is already talking about Pentecost. How does he know what the spirit of God looks like? How did Joseph go in Egypt? Speaking in tongues. We have evidence-based Christianity. Pharaoh said, look at your scripture. How can we find such a man in whom the Spirit of God is? How did he know that the Spirit of God can inhabit people? How did he recognize it? All through the scripture, you find hidden kings saying the same thing. If you want to manifest divine wisdom, like Joseph, the one that hidden kings will recognize you, sir. I don't know what prophecy is over your life, but you need holiness to achieve it. That was where Joseph started. How can I hurt God like this? That's a contrite heart. How can I do such a thing against God? The same thing, Daniel. The same thing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abadnego. Nebuchadnezzar said, I threw three people into the fire, but they are four. And the fourth one is like what? It's like what? Bikonu, question. Has he ever seen God before? To know what his son looks like? How did he know that that fourth one looked like the son of God? Grandmother of Belshazzar, the same thing. The, this is evidence. This is evidence. Is what they see. What they saw in those people that they said. Do you want to walk in a manifest presence of God? Not by talk. Not Christianity by church or church. You know, we belong to a generation that has knowledge. Amen? They know the Bible. Before you say anything, they've quoted, quoted, quoted. If you bring a new revelation, ah, the thing is sweet in them. Obedience, uh-huh, nothing. They're not obeying anyone. Talk. Bible says, ever learning, but never coming to the full knowledge and understanding of the faith. The Lord will help us in the name of Jesus. Is there something in your life 
that has dulled your sensitivity towards God? Is there something in your life that you have continued to do or that you have continued not to do? Something the Lord has been telling you. And because of it, God is staying away from your life. Is there something that you have used the grace of God as a license to keep on doing? The Bible says that grace alone, if you take grace alone without truth, you produce a dangerous person. Licentious believers, carnal Christians, who can do anything and think God is happy with it. God is not happy. God is not happy. This morning we are going to pray. We are going to trust God. That scripture that I just alluded to, there are so many scriptures, um, but there are so many scriptures, but just to rest that one. Can we go to Proverbs chapter 16 verse 6? Proverbs chapter 16 verse 6. Are we there? Okay. Can somebody with King James Version please read it out for us? Praise God. Hallelujah. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. So by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, yes. And by fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Men do what? Depart from evil. So there's a difference between iniquity being purged and what? Departing from evil. And they are from two different sources. John 1.17, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, by mercy, iniquities are atoned for. But it is, it takes the fear of the Lord for people to actually walk away from it. That's what complete repentance is. The Lord will help us this morning to walk away from all that God calls profanity in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to look at your life. Have you truly been a genuine Christian? Have you truly been a genuine Christian? We don't need to be millions and millions and millions, even though we are. Then why is it that there's no impact? On Friday night, the Lord came at us very heavily. That we should change our prayer for Nigeria. Let those who call themselves Christians in this country become Christians indeed. Let's become Christians indeed. Imagine imagine. If every Christian young man will stop betting. You know this bet, Niger? Imagine every, if every Christian young man and woman stops it. What will happen? This thing will collapse. <laughs> Mommy say, are they doing it? Brethren, are they doing it? <laughs> Imagine everybody that calls himself, I belong to Christ, stops betting Niger, what will happen to it? The thing will collapse. The challenge with Nigeria 
is Christians living the double life. When we come to your place of work, we can't quite tell the difference. All the church in you goes missing. Imagine if all the Christians in Nigeria stopped lying, stopped taking bribes. Every Christian in Nigeria. Imagine if we became genuine Christians for once. I was so challenged last Sunday when our bishop was talking about his experience in Medugri. And for those of you that know Unimed, it's actually not very far from that Sambisa area. You see, and that boy was telling them that he's going to shout praise the Lord. You are going to shout hallelujah so that those in Sambisa forest will hear that something is happening. And the man of God was like, hello. I said, Kai, the same heaven we are going with these people. The same heaven. Praise the Lord. Can we take God seriously for once? Can we become genuine Christians indeed? And I don't know if you're here. You've not experienced the love of the Father. Maybe you have experienced the love of the world. That selfish love that people will tell you just to cheat you. I love you, I love you. Maybe if you're a doctor, they say it just for you to see their children or see their relatives. Ah, thank you. Although just for you to see them. Or you a lady. Oh, I love you, I love you. I will marry you. Lie. He's a hunter. He has a target. Maybe you have experienced the selfish, devilish love of this world. There's a love that the Father gives that is wholesome, altogether good. I don't know if you want to experience it. This morning is a chance. If you've never given your life to Christ, please, this morning is an opportunity for you. We are dead in sin. If you listen to the Apostles' Creed, one of the lines says what? He descended into... He descended into... You think he was going for sightseeing? He went on your behalf. So that you will never have to go there again. That is what we believe as Christians. After doing that on the third day, what did he do? He rose again from the dead. The payment for your sin is hellfire. Is eternal death. When the Bible says the wages of sin is death, it's not just dying, pupils fixed and dilated, no pulse, all those things. It is the eternal death in hellfire. And that is what he paid for you. You don't have to experience it again, my brother, my sister. If you've never given your heart tenderly to Jesus, this morning is a privilege for you to do so. And if we believe believer here, You feel the Lord is calling you back to intimacy. To real holiness. Not to putting up appearances. God knows the secrets of your secrets. He knows everything. All your offerings are wasted. When you offer a bull, it's as if you killed a human being for God. When you bring a grain offering, it's as if you did the worst. You poured the blood of pigs on God's altar. Do you want to continue in that situation where your offerings are not accepted? 
Can we bow our heads to pray this morning? Maybe we'll rise to our feet. Or any position that the Lord compels you to stay in. Can you begin to talk to God already? Can you begin to pray? Can you begin to pray? Say, Lord, I return. Lord, I return to you. I repent of my carnality. Even though I'm born again, it's as if my heart is not right. Even though I've been claiming Christian for years and years and years, there's something that needs correcting in my heart, Lord. Lord, why am I not passionate about word evangelism? Why am I not passionate about prayer? Why am I not passionate about intimacy with you, Lord? Correct something in me. And please, if you're here, and there's something, maybe you've never given your life to Christ, and you know it. Please, this is opportunity for you to surrender your life to Christ. If you've not made peace with the only genuine lover of your soul, this is the moment for you to make that decision. I want to invite you to embrace the love of all, the highest love of all, which is God himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that anybody, no matter what he has done, once you commit your trust and belief in him, you will not perish, but you have eternal life. If you want to make that decision, can you please lift your hands to Jesus at this moment? Can you just lift your hands to Jesus at this moment? If you want to decide to follow Christ, genuinely, came to Jesus, Lord, I want to follow you. He said, no. I don't have a house, oh. I don't have a home, oh. And that was the end. We never heard of that man again. If you want to follow genuinely, can you lift up your hands? If you want to give your heart to Christ this morning, your hand is lifted up, can you please stand up so that the people who can help you can identify you. There is joy in heaven for this decision you are making. Not for all the thanksgivings on earth put together. There is joy in heaven for this decision. God bless you, those that are making this prayer. Can we pray this prayer together? Can we pray and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for dying for me on the cross because you loved me. I don't deserve it, but you did it anyway. Lord, thank you. I want to commit my life to you. I want to commit my whole life to you. I dedicate my heart to your service, O God. Lord, write my name in the book of life. Sustain me in my journey of knowing you, O God. I profess with my mouth that I belong to you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Amen.